How's it going, everyone? Welcome to Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. This is our 101st episode. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne. As always, I'm joined by my co-host and best friend, George Frazard. What's up, dude? Nothing much, man. How's it going? Getting ready for a big thing that you know about, <laughs> but I'm not going to announce on here. Yeah, there's a big thing in the works. Cortland and I are doing something. We're up to something. It's going to be really cool. Evil is afoot. It involves Halloween. Yeah, something strange is afoot <laughs> at the Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So uh, flying to Michigan tomorrow. George is going to pick us up at the airport. And we're going to make something. And it's going to be really cool. You guys will know about it soon, sooner rather than later, within the next few weeks, definitely. Or else it didn't happen. And then I'll look like an idiot. <laughs> but uh, getting all that stuff together for it was uh, tough. And we had to go into the office this week a lot because of the PlayStation 5 announcement today, which um, actually, you know what? I was, Matt called me into the office, right? Coworker mm-hmm. Matt. Everyone loves him. Matt Ancini. He's the co-host on This Is. He uh, is a quadruple amputee. We have to CGI <laughs> his limbs. Uh, he's 52 years old, and he's managed to work on YouTube. So, I mean, we all just, like, we all root for Matt. We know that any day now, he's just going to... Real champion. Utter that last breath. It's just going to, like, come out of him, like the smoke in, uh what's that movie? Dr. Sleep. Yeah. And he's going to pass on because he's old. Um, so, Matt was like, hey, Jimmy... Uh, can you come in to the office for the Apple event on Tuesday so we can do what this is? So I'm like, yeah, dude, totally. And I came in and then they don't announce the iPhone. They announced the watch and the iPad, which I'll tell you a secret about YouTube. No one gives two shits about either of those things. Uh, so we didn't do what this is on that. And then today we were going to do a video on the PlayStation 5 event, but it was like, there was nothing, no surprises. It was just, this, the price was exactly what everyone predicted, and the date is two days after the Xbox Series X. So, no this is is this week, except for the game show on Friday, which is your average consumer. And he won. Spoilers. <laughs> you can't give out confidential information like that. Uh, we've had one loser, total. And we've been doing this for about six months. <laughs> so, Austin makes it way too easy. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, like Austin just makes it way too easy. And uh I will say that the tweet Judner made Austin do for this week's episode is fucking awesome and I love it. So that's a little inside baseball for you guys. Uh I got bronchitis from the smoke. That was cool. Thankfully that healed very quickly. Like one day of bronchitis sucked. Then it was fine. I'm here talking. And yeah, so Pretty busy week so far. How's your week going? Yeah, uh, got all my Halloween decorations set up. My heard four percent of your company got fired. Four percent of my company got fired, which is not great. I made the cut, um, which is great. Which is great. That's great. <laughs> Still have a job, so can't really complain about too much. My house yeah. is decorated. I have a graveyard in my front lawn. Things are things are looking up for me personally, but not for four percent of the company that I work for. Did any of your work friends get the axe? No, my closest work associate is still going strong. Jeff. Jeff, the Love man. That guy. <laughs> so that's cool. Uh, I put up all of our Halloween decorations with Kelsey. We have this like four foot tall sign that just says "spooky" on it. Love that. Put that up. Finally, George, I got to tell you about this. I have been searching the Spirit Halloweens 
all around the Los Angeles area, which I didn't realize Spirit isn't open as much as it is here and other places. Like there are four or five around me that I could go to today. But when I went and looked for you, there's like one open in Michigan. Yeah, I had a real issue with that. So there, the one that was closest to me was not open. And seems weird since it's already halfway through September. So you'd assume right. most people want to do their Halloween shopping. So went to the Spirit. It was a bust. Not open. Then I was like, well, Target has the Hide and Eek Boutique. So I'll go there. I'll get some, see what I can find. All their stuff was packaged up and not on display. So I couldn't <laughs> buy anything at Target Halloween related. What the fuck? Is the school stuff still out? So they had cleared out that whole back section where they normally set it all up. So like all the big shelves and everything were open and available. But every Halloween thing was in a big box that they just had not unloaded yet. So I was like, well, that sucks. Thanks, guys. Then luckily the true MVP, Michael's, was open. Had a ton of great stuff. Everything was 40% off. I saved like $132 on my bill. It was perfect michaels i'll give you the tip they put out their halloween stuff at the beginning of july and they get rid of it by the end of september and they're on christmas <laughs> because it's like a crafting store so they want to give you time to craft i guess but yeah go if you go right around now just like george said you can use coupons there's always 40 percent off like michaels is just practically giving shit away and they got great stuff there yeah i've been looking for this michael myers half bust it's called a mini bust i guess and it's made of porcelain. It's painted really well. It's Michael Myers holding the pumpkin from the cover of the first movie and carving it. And somehow they got this like perfect likeness down. Looks great. So apparently every trick or treat, every trick or treat, every spirit Halloween store in the country got two of these things and they just randomly get more. And I had to go to DSW on, um, last friday to get a pair of converse because those are my lucky shoes whenever i'm making anything and i didn't have a pair so i was like i gotta go get some and then the spirit halloween's right above it so we're like we'll pop in and they had two of them so i got finally got that looks great uh we got out our you know our halloween bin we have this like black garland that has orange lights in it we got that in front of the tv we got our little jack-o-lanterns out and then my office is already decorated because I just leave it like this all year round. <laughs> right. <laughs> so all in all, things are looking up for me, which makes me very nervous and skeptical for the next week or so. <laughs> yeah. When's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah, that's how it always works out. You know, every time something starts going good for me, it's like I get the one-two punch. But I also did buy this Halloween 2 snow globe that's about an inch tall and an inch and a half wide. And it's got Michael Myers in it, and it has red confetti. That's pretty solid. I really like it. I'm this is this might be my best purchase. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna have to go back out to Spirit to get some of the like officially licensed stuff to see if I can find anything cool. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do another Halloween shopping round, but I got the majority of my home decor set up now. We have to go there on Friday, just so you know. Okay. For uh the thing so you will be able to buy some stuff there's one open in battle creek sweet michigan if any of you listeners are in battle creek don't buy the michael myers bust because george wants it (laughs) (laughs) uh obviously we're talking about our weeks here more because there's fucking nothing to talk about in terms of horror news this week we have a few stories we can get into but thankfully we chose to watch two new movies this week so big ups on us but let's just jump into the news here first one 
Freaky is rated R. That's the movie we talked about last week. Bloody Disgusting is reporting that Freaky, the movie where a high schooler body swaps with a serial killer, is rated R for strong bloody violence, sexual content, and language throughout. This is noteworthy because babies on Twitter made a huge deal out of uh, Christopher Landon's last two movies, Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You being PG-13. I don't get that. I got it with Black Christmas, not going to lie, because that was a slasher movie and it was already clear that that was a fucking cash grab down to its core. So it was like, I know a lot of people were kind of looking for another reason to be mad at that movie and like, can't really blame them, you know, but happy death day. There was no reason for that to be PG 13 in my opinion. You mean to be R? Yeah. Like watching, I'm a big fan of both of those movies and like, I don't really, I can't think of any specific, like parts of it that I want to be more gory or I mean, it just doesn't really fit like the tone of those movies to me. Like I, I have no issue with them being PG 13. Um, I mean, I think it's cool that this is R cause you know, he feels that this is like going to have more violence cause it's actually about a serial killer this time. So I, I get that. That makes sense to me. So I mean, it's cool that he, you know, has the ability to go R if he needs to. And, you know, hopefully it, it helps out the movie. But, like, I didn't really feel like the Happy Death Day 1 or 2 needed to be R in any way. I was just kind of hoping with, like, the tone of the trailer after watching it. I was kind of positive that it was going to be PG-13. Just because it's so teenage-oriented with just inherently what it is. Since it's basically Freaky Friday but horror. Right. So, like... I don't know. I I feel like if I was a parent and I had a 16-year-old that couldn't, or, you know, honestly, even like a 14 or 15-year-old, I'd probably just take them to see this just because it looks like something that's marketed towards people in that age group. I bet it's for, like, swearing, too. I don't know what the sexual content could be. It's not like they're going to drop Vince Vaughn's dong in this movie. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't know. I feel like his style is, like you were saying, I mean, it's, like, very... Not immature, but, like, accessible for, yeah. like, younger audiences. So, like, I don't really foresee it being, like, a hard R in any way. It's probably just on the cusp. Last year, um, when I went to Seattle to see the Series X, when I came back, I saw Vince Vaughn in the airport. That dude is massive. He is so tall. Yeah, he's, like, 6'7". Yeah, he really is. And his assistant was, like, a five foot three woman. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to like run to keep up with them in LAX. It was crazy. I mean, I feel bad for that dude going to a public airport. Everyone's gonna see him because he's like a goddamn lighthouse. I mean, it's been it's been quite a while since his uh, wedding crashers days and dodgeball. So maybe he got a little bit of reprieve. I should have like sprinted up to him and been like, <laughs> "How's the weather up there? How's the weather up there? How's the weather up there? Do you play basketball?" <laughs> Just screamed at him all these like slurs that people use for tall people. <laughs> Just hit him with all of them at once, bombard him. Just verbally abuse uh, Vince Vaughn in the airport. I would have gotten some YouTube subs out of that. Maybe some Twitter followers. After his performance in uh, Cell Block 99, I would not mess with that dude. When he ripped the hood off uh, of that car, I was like, well. yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. And when he stomped that guy's head. Crazy. He like crushes a skull. I don't remember. That movie's pretty good, though. Not gonna lie. I would also get jail time, so probably wouldn't be worth it. Um, But yeah, Freaky is rated R. That's exciting, I guess. The next thing on here is something we could have predicted. Like, if this was the stock market, I would have bought this stock and I would have made so much money 
is this metaphor. Candyman is pulled from release and delayed until 2021 indefinitely. So we said this was going to happen, right? When they gave it Halloween Kills release date after delaying Halloween Kills. Like, it's universal. They're putting out Halloween Kills. They obviously just wanted to have a placeholder for it while they figured out another date to put it next year. And then they realize that every other movie is delaying the next year. So they're like, all right, we're just going to hang on to this bad boy and release it when there's an open week. I just, I don't understand why people are being so dense with this, especially critics where it's like, you have to, you're paid, sometimes you're paid, but you want your job to be, it's like seeing a movie and writing about it. And I feel like you should have a baseline understanding about the fact that this is a business where money is on the line, like millions of dollars, especially with a movie like Candyman. I don't un- understand why people are being so dumb about saying stuff like, oh, dump it to VOD. You sh- you're not going to make any money next year anyway. So just dump it to VOD now and-, and do that for us on Halloween. We deserve it. And it got to the point where they bullied the director off Twitter. I- and that's, co- that's completely crazy. I mean, I- I'm-, I'm so baffled when any movie that was supposed to come out this year is pushed back to a release date that is this year. Like, Wonder Woman is slated for December? Are you kidding me? Are you insane? There's no chance any giant movie is coming out this year. You would have to be, from the movie company's perspective, insane to release any movie in theaters this year. I am so shocked that Tenet is in theaters. Right, and that movie is bombing so hard that Warner Brothers won't even release numbers on it. Apparently, it's made $200 million in America, or worldwide even. It's made $200 million. That is insane how much of a profit or negative profit that is. It's ridiculous. You can't release a movie at half-capacity theaters and expect to make money on it because those theaters aren't even going to be filled up. You have to overall do less showtimes too. So releasing a multi-million, hundreds of millions of dollars budget movie like Tenet was just stupid. And now Warner Brothers is making the wise-ass move of putting Wonder Woman a week apart from their other biggest movie this year, Dune. There's no way those movies are coming out. No. Not a chance. And <laughs> and especially after they see these numbers, like why would they ever release another movie this year after they saw what a oh my god right commercial failure tenant is? I called this earlier this year. Universal smart. They sit and they wait for other distributors to take the chance on releasing their movies or delaying their movies, and then they see how it works out for them. They sat and they waited for Disney Plus to release Mulan for thirty dollars to see how that would do. It made thirty million bucks. That's fucking terrible and china doesn't like the movie either and it's like turning this whole shitstorm because disney filmed it in a region of china that has concentration camps did you see all the weird controversy around this movie in china uh, not specifically in china what's going on with that so the like main actress in the movie the who plays mulan like has come out as a like pro the chinese government so a lot of the people there don't like her all right then they film like you were saying like basically in a, a concentration camp and apparently she's also won like the chinese equivalent of a razzie <laughs> like every year since she's been an actress in china so she's not a popular actress in china but th- there's just like a lot of weird stuff about it like it was kind of made for chinese audiences but with an actress that chinese audiences don't like and in an area that's like obviously very controversial to film in and shouldn't be filmed in at all 
a lot of weird stuff with that Mulan movie. Yeah. Also, people are saying like, oh, the reason Mulan only made $30 million on Disney Plus is because it's a bad Disney remake. And it's like, that's such a brain dead argument, because if you look at all the other Disney remakes, which are fucking horrible, the only ones that don't make money are the good ones. So you can't point at the quality of Mulan and say, that's why no one bought it, because these are the same people who are sitting there being like, oh, I'm an armchair analyst and I'm saying that. If I spend 30 bucks to watch Mulan with my family and my two friends, we're all only going to pay a few dollars each. It's like, whoa, lo and behold, no one's fucking doing that because it's stupid. No one's Venmoing their friends for 450 I mean, I think the issue, well, part of the issue is for those like Disney remakes, it's largely kids want to go to the theater and see it. And so, you know, you take your kid to the theater, you got like three of them, you know, kid. Kids movies make a lot of money because there's a ton of kids that go and see movies. And so if you have a bunch of kids and you spend $30 and they can all watch it, that's less money than they would have made at the theaters if each one of them had to have gotten a ticket. So right. it, it just it just doesn't work, obviously, as we can see from the numbers that just came out. Right, exactly. So Universal took a hard look at that and said, wow, no one's actually buying this? Oh, look at Bill and Ted, an awesome movie, unanimously loved, one of the best Rotten Tomato scores of the year. You know who hasn't released a single news story, press release, anything about numbers on Bill and Ted? Fucking Orion, dude. Because everyone pirates it. They go online, they pirate these movies that were on streaming services because the quality drop-off is, what, like 5%? Yeah, and you get it same day, usually. And out with within the runtime of the movie is when the pirated version ends up online. Right. Until that is able to be stopped, you're not going to see multi-million dollar movies like Candyman, which have the potential to earn a quarter of a billion like Halloween. They're not going to throw that on VOD. If they can't make their money like this, they're not going to release the movie. So they're going to sit on it cross their fingers until theaters are open and then release it because that's when they're going to make their money. You know, it's just like, it's that simple. And I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see it in a theater. Like I want to go and see it in a theater. So to me, I, I had right. Me too. Like, like you're saying, I had no like false idea that this movie was going to actually come out in theaters this year. So I'm just going to wait for the official release date in a theater and go see it. And then you've got the director who everyone loved, right? before she comes out and says look we made this movie to be seen in a theater that's our decision for it it will look best on a theater screen thank you for being patient and then the same people who are boosting her for months they are the ones turning around and bullying her off twitter it's just a complete joke like these movies are not charities for you to feel good about yourself or bad about yourself depending on what kind of film person you are they're products that are being put out to make money Candyman has as much potential as Halloween 2018, if not more, just based on the social situation we're in in America right now. They're not going to drop it on VOD. And all these film Twitter people sitting there saying, well, I'd pay 50 bucks to see it right now. Great. The vast majority of the audience, you know, the people who actually matter to these distributors, they're not going to do it. So you can sit there and bully people off Twitter and whine and complain about how you would rent it for 100 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever you would pay, but it's just not going to work. Yeah. It's just not. So, why don't you look at VOD where great movies come out every week, like the ones we talk about, and be happy with those because they don't get enough t- attention as it is, and now there's no theatrical movies coming out and I don't see any of these movies getting more coverage. It's like super frustrating. Yeah, that's the really weird thing to me. Is like you would assume that now it would be these smaller 
independent VOD releases to really like have their moment in the spotlight and have people pay attention to these like smaller releases. But it's just people complaining that they can't see their big budget movies at home. And I'm going to specifically say that Bloody Disgusting is exempt from everything I just said because they've always been great about not grandstanding themselves. They just do things. Like I noticed that when the call to hire more diverse people happened, not only did Bloody Disgusting already have a diverse roster of people writing for their site, like their lead critic is a female, they also just went and hired a bunch of people of color and of different backgrounds. And they didn't make a big deal out of it either. And that's really cool. And they're the ones who are boosting all of these VOD movies. I think that's awesome. They're the way I find out about a ton of them, especially John Squire's uh, account that he made to tweet out movie release dates. That's how I find so many VOD movies now. It's awesome. Like, they're doing great work. There's really nothing else. Like, Fangoria is coming back, but their website isn't active anymore. That was a really good aggregation tool. Dreadit doesn't really post news. Rue Morgue is a, a monthly magazine that I think is great and definitely doesn't get enough attention. But, like, that's a magazine. But it's just, like, really frustrating that critics who, like, literally want it to be their job to talk about movies are being so fucking flippant about the the actual movies. Like, the quality of the movie matters. The screener you're getting at 540p that's watermarked with your massive email across it, it's not the same experience as going to a movie theater. Like, you cannot tell me that unless you're spending tens of thousands of dollars like our friend Luke Rodriguez did who built a literal movie theater in his home, that's who has the equivalent experience to the movie theater. And even then, the screen is smaller. It's not It's not even the same thing there. It's as close as you can get, but it's not the same. Like, that shit matters. And I'll tell you out here in LA, they go all out on screenings. They give us the Dolby Atmos theaters. They make sure it's in the biggest possible setting at the amc century city like these people were pampered all of these critics who get to go to these screenings and now they're acting like they don't miss them i just don't understand it like yeah sorry you had to sit in traffic and get to a theater at 7 p.m you also got to see a movie before it came out in the best possible setting available to anyone in the country and that matters so yeah i don't think it's bad that nita costa came out and said we're delaying our movie that we worked our fucking asses off on that's really going to hit hard when it does come out because we want people to see it in the best possible way. Like, if you're a critic, you should probably stand behind her, in my opinion. Like, I just don't really see any argument other than the one that always comes up. Like, my theater experience usually sucks. And it's like, dude, just find a different theater. Like, I get that some people live in the middle of nowhere, but if you have good enough internet to run a YouTube channel, to run a website, you probably are closer to a bigger city where you can go to a better theater like the Alamo Drafthouse. I mean, in Michigan, you've got AMC, which sucks, right, George? We can say that AMC sucks. Yeah, I would say most of the AMC theaters, especially the ones like closest to where I live, are not the most ideal. So what other theaters do you have to go to if you uh, have a bad experience at AMC in in Detroit area, Michigan. There's the MJR, which I'm not sure if it is a Michigan chain or just like a different Midwest chain. Um, and then there's also Imagine is like the best experience. That's kind of the like premium movie going experience. And that's uh, all over the place. Actually started by uh, alum of the college I graduated from. So those are like the other options. And I really never have an issue at uh majority of the time in mgr and never i'd imagine right and then you've got 
Alamo Draft House potentially coming. Potentially coming to Detroit, but we'll see. Right. And out here, I've got a bunch of different options. The AMCs out here honestly aren't that bad. The Century City one's always great, and I've had a bad experience there. The Universal one can be hit or miss depending on what you're seeing. Um, but there's a Lemley Cheap Theater. The Alamo Draft House is always great. I don't know. I just feel like if you're a critic, part of your job description is going to the movie theater and seeing a movie when it comes out. Or else, why are you a critic? Because the point of being a critic is to let the general public know what movies they should go check out, right? Right. And in a similar experience to what they're going to be seeing it as. You know, if you go and see it in a theater and they go and see it in a theater, that's a very similar experience in terms of, in general, you know, screen size and sound quality and everything like that. Film criticism has gotten so weird on Twitter to the point where it feels like a big collective hive mind that's only writing articles for each other instead of the general movie-going audience who arguably is the one putting money in their pockets, right? Like, they're the ones who are searching them out. So it's like, I kind of see why so many people turn against review sites like Rotten Tomatoes and stuff like that. Because not only can anyone get on Rotten Tomatoes now, right? Like, if you're a YouTuber, you have to have 30,000 subs, which is pretty hard to get. But now you can have a podcast, you can have a blog. I think the requirements are just ridiculously low for everyone else. So Rotten Tomatoes is just like... The Wild West, if you go on and click top critics, it ends up actually being pretty good. It's it's just ridiculous how a- anti-film film criticism has gotten. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely very strange. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is an okay aggregate. I mean, I think their scoring system is pretty bizarre. Um, where, like, a, getting a 100% fresh rating does not mean that the movie is a 10 out of 10. It just means that the majority of critics rated it favorably, like, five or above. So... That's really not like a huge sign of quality to me. Uh, So I get why people would turn away from sources like that. I mean, I think the best thing to do is just find a couple critics or a website that kind of align with your opinions most of the time or get on Letterboxd and look at a few reviews for movies that you like and find people that agree with you and just follow them. I mean, I think if you can find things like that, it's that's kind of the, the best way to do it. Yeah, you're making a great point here. And that's kind of why YouTube is great. You can find a critic you actually really align with and you can find their reviews for a movie you want to check out. But then you can also go and find people you disagree with and kind of see if your like or dislike of a movie holds up. And I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, totally. I really like that. And that's kind of like the YouTube algorithm doesn't like that. It doesn't like having critics who do reviews it likes people who come up with shit like how many people were actually in Laurie strode's house at the end of halloween 2018 or like weird concepts like that right like the weird clickbaity stuff or the ones with the most kid-friendly thumbnails but uh yeah def- definitely weird weird algorithms at work like we could say like john squires is the biggest horror movie critic right and that's I would say so. I'd say that's like probably pretty fair. And I know a lot of people like hate him mainly because he's big. But like I think the reason the dude got as big as he is, especially on Twitter, is because he shares his opinion, he stands by it, and he actually enjoys movies, you know? He's not like constantly looking for the next thing to be mad at. I remember when The Predator came out, It felt like me and him were the only two people who liked it because it was fun. (laughs) And there's like so many other people talking about like 
all this behind this behind the scenes shit that happened with it that doesn't affect the movie at all as long as the final product is viewable on screen like the troubled history shouldn't matter you shouldn't even know about that going in really you just get the impression now on the internet that people enjoy hating movies more than they enjoy movies and that really sucks i mean i think that's kind of a byproduct of social media as a whole like if everybody has a voice usually people sway towards the negative because that gets more interaction more whatever attention whatever you want to call it the way the cream rises to the top the cream doesn't rise to the top. That's how the phrase works. The way that people rise to the top on Twitter is by talking shit about people that are more talented than them, generally. <laughs> yeah, generally. Like nitpicking apart stuff that they could never make. And I don't I don't think I ever started going down that path, but I like kind of sensed that I was like looking at things way too critically, trying to pick them apart for their flaws instead of like enjoying them for what they are. And then we'll get to that more with the movie we're talking about today, but it's just like so much better. To actually enjoy this stuff and not want to feel miserable all the time when you're watching a movie. It's just like, it's crazy to me. Yeah. And yeah, it really bugs me that this, you know, this person is really trying to do something good by making this Candyman movie and finally giving it the platform it deserves really because like a lot of people right now are acting like they've always been Candyman fans like diehard fans their whole life there's a lot of people who are being pretty disingenuous about that no no one no one saw Candyman when it came out it made okay money it wasn't a huge hit and it's cool that Candyman is finally getting another chance as a franchise because I actually did see it when I was a kid and it scared the crap out of me and I think it's just shitty that twitter once again has claimed another victim because every good director is leaving twitter because they don't want their past dug up like james gunn right or they get bullied off for not appeasing one fan group or another and it's like these are the people that you want on twitter because they might share some insight into how they made these movies and like people who are talented enough to actually go out and make their own movie aren't gonna learn that stuff you know yeah i mean definitely you you'd assume you know, those are like the best people to learn from. People who have actually done it, made made either big budget movie like this or a small movie, you know, whatever. If it's a movie that you like and, you know, having that entrepreneurial spirit and, and making it and doing it is just, you know, it's usually pretty interesting to hear from them. Anytime you get like a director commentary or, I mean, I think one of the directors that kind of goes out a lot and, and makes it a point to talk about, you know, the filmmaking process is Adam Green. And we've been talking about him a lot lately on the podcast, but... Um, I mean, his movie crypt show is basically that, you know, talking with filmmakers to get their perspective on it, kind of seeing it from the other end and hearing their stories of how they made it, you know, and that's just really interesting. I mean, I guess it doesn't interest everybody, but I think kind of getting that perspective on it helps you enjoy movies as a whole more when you think of it as like this project where all these people are involved and are in collaboration to do this one thing. I think that kind of gets lost a lot of the times and people don't think about that. That's why I can kind of say I enjoy those direct to DVD child's play movies, even though I don't love either of them. And I think cult is like overall pretty bad movie. At least it's what the creator wanted to make. And he got that on the screen, right? Like that means something. Yeah, totally. And I just like, I don't, I just don't, know why some people set out to be critics 
because it just seems like they hate everything. And I, what, another thing I'll say, like the probably the last thing I'll say about Candyman is that if stuff like this, like Candyman or Halloween Kills or uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw ends up coming to VOD and it doesn't make an insane profit, not just break even, because if, if Halloween Kills breaks even, you will not see Halloween ends. It's just not going to happen because it's a money game. Trancast will take the rights back, give it to the next distributor who's willing to shell out money to do it right. So if these movies come out and they don't make huge money on VOD and then theaters permanently close down forever, uh, the movies that we're going to see are going to compensate for that big time. You're going to lose stuff like Marvel movies. You're not going to see these huge tentpole releases anymore because these companies are only going to make movies that people will pay for. Right. They'd have no incentive to spend a billion dollars on a movie because they would never see that back in any way on a VOD release. Right. Like if people aren't turning up to spend money on Mulan, which cost I think like $200 million to make, then they're not going to make any more $200 million movies. They're going to make $5 million movies and stuff that's probably more akin to what you're seeing as a Netflix original, which as we know, as listeners and people who make this podcast, they don't usually turn out very good. Yeah, ex- extremely hit or miss. Yeah, and like I, I just, I, I just don't, I don't get why critics are calling for that to happen because it's like your livelihood is on the line. It's like what, what do you like? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, because right now it seems like you want to be able to watch everything for free or significantly cheaper than go- going to the movie theater. You want to watch it in the worst pre- presentation possible, and you want it to make you hate yourself. It's like that is not what movies are for me. And I, I don't think a lot of people in the like general movie going audience feel differently. Yeah. I mean, I would say definitely the general public. That's, <laughs> I would say now what they're looking for most of the time. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I think that kind of covers up our news section. There's nothing really to talk about, but that was like really important. I think to, to talk about because it, it really does feel like it's coming to a breaking point. Thanks to COVID, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a, a weird climate for everything right now and you know including movies obviously and so i think everybody kind of not being able to have that access in the same way uh has just created a lot of weird anonymity and weird conversations that you know are kind of unprecedented because we would have never seen this this kind of discourse not in this exact situation that we're in like at this point if people want to go to the movie theaters with and know that they're going to risk getting sick just let them because they're going to find another they're going wouldn't you rather them be sitting in an isolated space for 3 hours of your day where you're outside kind of being isolated with your mask on following the rules wouldn't you want them in a place where they're forced to have their mask on for 3 hours socially distanced from other people like that keeps these people off the streets and the fact that gyms are opening in some places but movie theaters are staying closed completely blows my mind it's yeah. just crazy i mean that that just seems like a really weird double standard yeah and it's cool that drive-ins are coming back i think drive-ins are cool they're just not the same really so i just hope it's at some point they find a safe way to reopen movie theaters and we get to see stuff like spiral halloween kills uh candy man like next year's gonna be insane for horror the conjuring three there's a lot of stuff just like sitting on the shelf that's gonna be released in rapid fire succession and it's gonna be awesome yeah, I mean, like you said, hopefully next year everything will kind of go back to to normal and we can see all these movies. Um, but, I mean, you, you don't really know at this point. 
Yeah. So we actually don't have a huge future programming se- uh, section this week. Possessor moved up a week to October 2nd, and that's it. So that's cool. We could see that movie sooner. Yeah, I'm excited. I think uh, that's kind of been one of my more anticipated movies since we started talking about that like a couple weeks ago. So sooner is cool. First week of October is solid. I'm going to try and get us a screener for that. I think uh, we should have it pretty soon. So I'm excited to check that out. And so let's just move into the movies this week. We got Alone and The Babysitter Killer Queen. Which one do you want to talk about first? Your Um, pick. I think let's start. What do you have more to say about? I have more to say personally about Babysitter. Okay. Let's, Let's start with Alone then. Okay. So Alone is a new movie for Magnet releasing. And they stood out to me because they put out some really cool horror movies like Splinter and uh, the the one that James Gunn made, Slither. Splinter and Slither. <laughs> right? That's what that's called? Yeah. Slither is the... Yeah, yeah the James Gunn movie. Yep. Okay. So I saw Magnet releasing and then I saw that it was like a kidnapping movie and I reached out for a screener and then I looked two emails down from my sent email and noticed that there was already one in my inbox. So that was kind of embarrassing and I checked it out. Dude, this movie's great. So basic premise is uh, essentially this, it opens with this uh, woman who is moving across the country. She kind of packs up her U-Haul and she's in... Some kind of situation we don't really know. She's kind of fighting with her parents. Uh, she's driving, like I said, across the country. This weird kind of Ned Flanders looking guy keeps running into her uh, all over the place at the truck stop, at the gas station, kind of following her around and uh, kidnaps her. And then it kind of unfolds into this like, you know, person versus person, nature versus person hunting killer movie. Yeah, and so she's moving from San Francisco up to, like, the woods in Oregon. Yeah, like Oregon, yeah. So it has a very Last of Us 2 vibe, which I thought was sweet. And I have to say that the kidnapper, who's played by Mark Menchaca, he does an excellent job, dude. He's terrifying. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, this movie wouldn't really work if the two main characters weren't really strong because it's majority of this movie is literally just the two of them or one of them on screen. So they both deliver like really strong performances. Um, But yeah, I mean, Mark in particular is like very menacing, seems like the everyman kind of like a BTK style killer where, you know, he's got like a normal life that he lives a nine to five. And then he just sometimes kidnaps and kills people. (laughs) He is from The Outsider. He's like one of the main bad guys in it. And he's kind of playing a similar character here, but he's much more reserved and kind of trying to be a nice guy. You know, the dude who stops on the road to see if you need any help when you when you uh, pop your tire and then he jumps in your car and kidnaps you. Like he plays that honestly a lot better than he plays the bad guy in The Outsider. He's kind of like shifting back and forth in that show between being a good guy and a bad guy. Uh, because the outsider uh, takes over him with this weird skin disease on his on the back of his neck, and it's like weird that he's trying to become a good guy because he's obviously a bad guy before the thing takes over him too. So this time around, it's like he's very clearly a bad guy, and he sells the part so much better. 
and uh, Jules Wilcox is Jessica, the main character. She also does an incredible job. She she kind of talks about like her husband committed suicide, so that's why she's getting away, and she doesn't tell anyone where she's going. And I really liked that it spent more time on how she gets kidnapped than putting her in a house that you know they had a ton of time to film in just because it's the basement of a house. Once she gets in there, like spoilers, she gets out extremely quick. And then that part of the movie, when she's hiding in the forests of upstate uh, New York or Washington, is so much better than the like escape a basement movie that it could have turned into. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you were saying, this could have easily been like a one-room movie, where the whole movie is her trying to escape the, like, essentially dungeon in the basement, and, you know, we get that big sigh of relief where she gets out at the end, but opening it up the way they do, where there's actually, like, interactions with the environment, and, you know, you get to see all this forest life and everything, that is just such a more interesting setting than one room that's kind of uninteresting to look at 99% of the time. And I thought the way that she gets out of the basement is really cool because it's like, it was smart. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, and her getting out of the basement happens so early in the movie that I don't think it's a major spoiler. Like to the point where they show it in the trailer and you think you've seen the entire movie, but you've actually just seen the the first act, which I think is great. Like it sucks for their marketing that it worked out like that. But I went in pissed that I watched the whole trailer <laughs> and then I was like, oh, this is great. Like there's a whole nother movie to watch after that and it's a really cool movie and uh the gore not that there's a ton of gore but they use it really effectively there's a part where she trips because she's running barefoot and a stick goes oh yeah horizontally (laughs) into the bottom of her foot and it's a great prosthetic effect that honestly wouldn't be that hard to make but they just do it so well you get to see her pull the stick out of the bottom of her foot and it looks just horrific it's yeah. crazy. That was a real, you know, you just like sit sit in your seat and you're like cringing at it because it, you could like feel it almost when she's pulling the stick out. Yeah, it was just like disgusting. And then the final showdown fight is really cool. I'm not going to spoil anything about that. And there's a couple parts where you expect it to go one way and it just like completely doesn't. And I thought that was awesome. And it's like, it can't have had a huge budget, but it really stretched it far. And it's an extremely good looking movie. Like all the shot work I thought was excellent. Obviously, they didn't have to wait too long for it to rain in Seattle or wherever they filmed it. But it just, it had the same vibe as some of the night stuff in The Last of Us 2. And I thought that was sweet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's a cool setting because kind of like what happened with The Wretched, where it's some, it's a setting that you don't see extremely often in like these kinds of movies or movies in general where it's this like in the wilderness hunter be hunted style movie i mean they come around every so often but i think this was like you know it felt like a breath of fresh air especially when we've been locked inside for the majority of the time to like see woods and streams and the outdoors and everything was like you know kind of refreshing as an audience uh another thing that i really liked about it fuck i was just gonna say it i'm gonna cut this out obviously what was it? There's something cool about it. <sighs> yeah. Um, I thought that, like I said, really solid performances. The locations that they shoot on are awesome. Really a lot of tense scenes in the movie. Very like on the edge of your seat the whole time. And like you mentioned earlier, some really great 
uh, effects in the movie. So I definitely recommend this. I gave it four stars. Yeah, this is a definite four star for me. I didn't rate it yet, but sitting here talking about it, definitely four stars. It scared the crap out of Kelsey. <laughs> it's definitely like very, it's a very stressful watch. Yeah, they're so good at knowing what you want her to do and then having her do the opposite of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you're just like, ah, this is horrible. <laughs> it's just like so scary. And the way that they have her be kidnapped feels so believable that it's just like, oh, next time I'm alone on the road, I'm going to be thinking about that. Yeah, tell you definitely. What. Weird, weird side note before I move on. There are like four movies called Alone that are coming out this year. That's so. what I was just trying to think about. <laughs> that was it. How do we not talk about that yet? God damn it. Ugh. So if you are trying to watch this movie, this is the one directed by John... Hames, H-Y-A-M-S. That's the one that you want to watch. There's one that it's about a lady who goes out into the woods to write a book that's <laughs> similar enough where you could watch that. And then there's another one that's like a foreign language. And there's one that came out last year in 2019. So there are so many movies called Alone. Make sure you watch the right one. And then uh, the lady on the cover is Jules Wilcox. So look her up if, you, if you're confused. So She's in like a purple hoodie and is running in the woods. When you see that, you know you got the right one. Yeah, that was, honestly, that was my one gripe with the movie that once she hurts her foot and you could, she's like limping around. She has a t-shirt on under that hoodie. She could have just wrapped her feet in the t-shirt if she just ripped it in half, you know? Yeah, I guess that that would have been something yeah oh also uh the scene where she hides in a cave and you see the sniper uh laser pointer on the wall that she can't see that was really well done yeah very a lot of cool shot work like really really well done and like you said probably a pretty small budget on this one does not show it at all yeah definitely not and then the next movie on here is the new netflix sequel which i think we both went into with the lowest of low expectations the babysitter killer queen and I got to say, going back to the conversation we just had about enjoying movies and having fun, I thought this was like not only a solid improvement over the first movie, I had a ton of fun watching it and I laughed out loud uh, multiple times, which doesn't really happen to me when I'm watching movies on Netflix. Like laughter is contagious, obviously. So when you're in a theater watching a comedy, you laugh a lot. This one did some stuff that made me crack up like at home. So I got to give a bonus points there. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely is it's a very fun watch i mean it's like definitely does not take itself too seriously in any way um like you said i i also would say i probably like this one more than the first one I and mean, i think that this one just has a a unique style to it at the very least which i i have to appreciate i have to give it some props for kind of breaking the mold a bit and what it is so mcg is back to direct i think and write it he directed it for sure. I don't know if he wrote it. I don't have it up here. So sorry if the screenwriter is listening, but I don't <laughs> think they are. Uh, it picks up two years after the first movie with Cole being in high school. No one believes him about the events that happened in the first movie, which is Samara Weaving being his babysitter who he kind of falls in love with. And then it turns out that uh, she convinced her high school friends to help her sacrifice him to get what they want, essentially. And... He wins. Spoilers. Now he's in high school. No one believes him. He goes up to the lake with his new friend. And uh, the babysitter event happens again with a, a new girl. And I will say, this movie does not make a great first impression. Uh, the b intro takes place in the daytime at a high school in California. It is the most overexposed 
shot work I've ever seen in a movie that has a budget this big. Like it, I don't know if it was a stylistic choice or someone just left the camera uh, aperture too wide open or what, but it is hard to watch because it's so bright. Did you notice that at all on your TV? Yeah, and it definitely looked overexposed for like any outdoor shot in the first, like before they get to the lake, basically. And then when they get to the lake, it uh, becomes nighttime and everything looks awesome. There's, it's definitely shot like out in the desert. So you've got these like beautiful starscapes and they always make sure to have the sky fill up the at least two thirds of the scene horizontally, which I think was really smart. I, I like that they brought back all of the high school killers from the first movie, but uh, King Batch, is that how you say his name? Yeah. He sucks, dude. That, <laughs> yeah. that Not only is he a bad actor, he's just like not written well. None of his moments really pay off for me, other than the one where uh, he kind of ties it into a Jordan Peele movie. Oh, where yeah. He's like, that was Shit was funny. still it's like starting to go great for black people right after he died. It started to go great in horror movies. <laughs> and so like this time around, he's like, no, it's I'm not going to be the first one who dies. I thought that was hilarious. And, you know, for every joke that they drop that sucks, there's like an, a, a better joke that's so much better that it kind of makes up for it for me. Uh, there's a part where one of the high school people uses a flamethrower after uh, this like creepy dude tries to pick up Cole's friend and she just like looks directly into the camera and screams silence rapist before like flamethrowering him and it's all practical. That... I was crying laughing. Did that get you at all? That scene? I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I liked, and I like, especially that scene kind of goes on to be like more and more ridiculous. Like, you know, she gets run over like multiple times with a car, which was like pretty, like pretty funny in context. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like, like a lot of the so jokes funny. are pretty funny. Like it's in general, I would say like more funny than not funny as a movie. Yeah. Um, it is like very fun tone. So like you want to laugh along with it as you're watching. Yeah. So Emily Aylin Lind plays is Melanie, who's like the surrogate for uh, Samara Weaving. She also does a pretty good job. And I felt so stupid that I was, I was watching this movie that's a sequel to a pretty dumb horror movie that's just trying to be funny. And I was actually surprised when she turned out to be part of the cult. I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me that that got me? You know, it hit me the same way, but it's like, you that should have been the most obvious twist of all time. <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's, there's a part where, uh, you know, Cole's new friend, Phoebe, who's played by Jenna Ortega, she kind of has like these rumors about her that she like murdered some people or whatever and that doesn't really work i don't think that was necessary for this actually it was necessary for the story i'm not going to spoil why i'm actually contradicting myself big time here uh it is necessary that there are rumors about her that's all i will say i think she's acted great her her character works really well as like a future love interest for cole like i, I thought the switch from him liking melanie to liking phoebe was really well done yeah i mean that was like very natural worked worked well uh you know, in the context of the movie, uh, she she is a pretty strong actress. I mean, she played a pretty major role in season two of You. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's cool that she's getting more more acting roles. I think she's, you know, a pretty strong young actress. I agree. And also, they brought Bella Thorne back, which I was initially upset about because Bella Thorne is just like, 
I don't understand how she has a big of, as big of a career as she does, but she's basically playing the perfect character for the kind of person she is in this movie, just like a ditzy cheerleader. And there's a part where all the high schoolers are revealing their master plan. And then she goes, yeah, let's fuck them about Cole, <laughs> who's like a junior in high school. And it goes on. Like the silence after that is great. And it's just like, let's fuck them up. You know? And everyone like kind of is like, yeah, okay. That's totally what you meant. But you could tell that they're like, what the, what the fuck? <laughs> like even the people on her team and her death is one of the best horror movie deaths for a horror comedy. I've seen in a long time where she like her boobs get, get her stuck between two rocks and like a cliff face. And then they pull her down. So then her neck stretches out and it's all practical and they pull her head off and then they start using her limbs as weapons. It's, it was just like hilarious. I thought it went a little far though when uh, the big boulder fell on her body. I was like, that is kind of stupid. But everything before that I thought was great. And the high schooler with the, the blue jeans, no shirt and cowboy boots. He is he was the standout performance in the first movie other than Samara Weaving for me. And he's just as good here. You mentioned that you really liked him. Yeah, I mean, I think all of his dialogue is really funny. Uh, his backstory also, they kind of give each of the uh, returning characters a little bit more backstory as to like why they joined the cult. And his is like so funny to me because how simple it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that all of his interactions with Cole were like very funny. Uh, him as a character is just like so over the top. It works perfectly within this universe. Um, you mentioned like Bella Thorne's death, death scene being really good. I think kind of one of the strongest parts of this movie is the majority of the kills and the gore is really solid, like way better than I expected it to be for like a movie that really leans into the comedy side of it so hard to also nail the like special effects as, as well as they did for the most part. Yeah. There is a few moments where there's CGI blood, but like I got to chalk that up to budget, I think just because they showed so much talent with making some practical kills that I want to say if they could have done it practically, they would have. And some of the CGI kills looked pretty good. Like uh, the cowboy boots guy getting sucked up into the boat propeller. I thought that looked great. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. the water kind of obscures the CGI aspects of it. The one character really just rubbed me the wrong way was uh, Melanie's dad. Like that bit got so old so quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that keep bringing him back. Yeah. He did not work at all for me. <laughs> like in any way. Um so I, I definitely feel you on that. Yeah, there's also a, a Mortal Kombat fight scene, which is so half-assed that it's just like, why did you put it in the movie? They just lower the frame rate, kind of copy some moves. They have Phoebe throw a fireball, like you said. The health bars are way too small to the point where you can't see them if you're watching the fight. And there's no fatality. Right. Like, if you're going to lead into it being a Mortal Kombat fight, you should have something like that that directly references like the most iconic thing about the game but yeah i I mean i think not everything works in this movie it's kind of a mixed bag for me um in general though i think it's a really fun watch i think it's fun enough the the kills are good i think like the three main kid leads are all pretty strong in the movie um the reoccurring characters are given enough like new backstory to keep them kind of fresh and interesting uh, I would say definitely if you like the first one, this is like something you should throw on for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. And if you kind of came away from the first one like I did where it kind of felt like 
Mickey was saying like I know how to make a great horror movie and I know what you should like even if you don't. It kind of felt like smug. This one has a lot more heart in it. It feels like he was humbled a little bit by the mixed reactions to the first movie. And there's a surprise at the end that everyone probably knows about by now, but like I don't know how they kept that as secret as they did. That was really good that they kept all that shit a secret. I thought that was like actually worth talking about. Um there's some great references to other movies too, like the social network that I noticed. You saw another one, right? Yeah, there's a Pee-wee's Big Adventure reference where Phoebe says is like dropped off at the beach by a trucker and she says, I'll, I'll let him know that Large Marge sent me, which is kind of one of my childhood classics. I love Pee-wee's Big Adventure, so it was cool to see a little nod to that. I also like Cole's dad a lot. There's a line he had when... Yeah, he's uh, got a lot of heart. Like, he's kind of... He like cares about his kid. A, a cool character. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And uh, he's going to go drive Cole to school. And he's like, uh, he's like, you want to drive? And Cole's like, no, I can't drive. I'm a kid. And he goes, well, I don't want to drive either, but I guess I will. But I guess I, I was like, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> and there's just like, there's so many, there's a lot of moments that's kind of hard to keep track of them all that made me laugh, which is good. I think that's like a benefit for the movie. But there's a part where Cole's like taking a piss. And then for some reason, Phoebe scares him and he turns around and pees right in her face. <laughs> and I was just like, that was awesome. I don't know how they put that in the movie. <laughs> it's just that was one of those really weird scenes because, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know, just felt like I like it fits, but it just was a very weird joke to put in the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's why I liked it. And uh, they have a sex scene in the movie for Cole and Phoebe, but because the actors who are playing these characters are actually in high school, like Cole's nineteen, the actor who plays him. They can't really show it in the same way other movies would. So since G is a music video director, he made a music video to that Tonto Jump On It song. And that came out great. But as George mentioned, the Mortal Kombat scene totally takes away from it. Like it's, you have to pick one. And I would have picked the music video moment because I thought that was really well done. Yeah. I mean, out of the two, that's like the far better scene. Yeah. Um, I mean, speaking of, you know, using the, the Tonto song for that scene, the, the soundtrack in this movie is really good. Like a lot of the like eighties ballads and stuff really are, are fun, like track that plays in the background while, while these events are happening. Yeah. The costume design's also pretty on point. Like it doesn't feel like Phoebe's a fake goth, you know, or a fake right. kid. Like she fits the part. Cole's outfits are all really cool. That guy's a good actor. He was actually out of the, like all the people who applied to be Spider-Man, uh, he was in the top six with Tom Holland. Oh, really? I could see, I could see him in that role. Yeah, he he definitely like grew up to look cooler than he did in the first movie. Like he still had that little kid look in the first movie. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's kind of part of the first movie, though. Like he needed a babysitter in the first movie, and now he's like kind of an adult, so he doesn't need one anymore. Yeah, and and kind of the end of this movie kind of made me tear up a little bit. I was like, damn, that was pretty good. <laughs> like. I just like I have complaints. The editing is pretty bad. The fact that the whole first act is overexposed. Some of the jokes don't land. I wish there was no CGI blood instead of some CGI blood. But that's a very small list of negatives on a movie that overall made me laugh. It had really cool gore that I could have fun watching. It had some awesome kill scenes. It had legitimately good humor and it looked it looked great. Once they got into the nighttime which is most of the movie, so I feel like I can praise it for that. And a lot of the kills were original as well. So 
Like, yeah, it sucks that Samara Weaving isn't in the entire movie, spoilers, but I don't know. I think this was the right way for the movie to go. If they're going to make a sequel, like I'm walking away from this movie, liking the whole movie and thinking it's worth praising rather than last time around where I walked away saying, man, that was a good character that Samara Weaving played. I agree. Like I I walked away liking this one better than the first one. Like I said earlier, I mean, I think it has a unique style to it, which I always kind of, you know, give, give props because it's, it's hard to be original. And I think this is original. Um, so, like, it, it at least has its own style. Like you said, not everything lands perfectly, but tries to try something new. And I think, for the most part, it works. Yeah, uh, I gave it... I went back and looked at what I gave the first movie. I gave it a 2.5. And I think this is better in pretty much every way, so I gave this a 3. Yeah, I mean, I gave it a, a strong 2.5. Do you remember what you gave the first movie? Uh, No. Probably, like, a 2. Probably. Something like maybe that. a one. Uh, I've been tossing down one. the one stars. <laughs> I have tossed down a couple one stars, but I don't think Babysitter One was a one star. Okay, that's fair. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. Next week we'll be back on Wednesday as usual, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Champagne. You can follow George at George Frizzard. You can follow the show at Fear Frequency. Make sure you write in. Let us know what you think of either of the movies we talked about this week alone, The Good One, and The Babysitter Killer Queen. You got anything else to say, George? Um, Holliston was just added to Shudder, and uh, go watch it. We want oh, yeah, to try everyone to get watch season three times. made. <laughs> yeah. My tweet did great. Just going to say. Got a lot of replies. Got a lot of retweets. I didn't put Adam Green and Joe Lynch in it. I followed the rules. Per their request. Yeah. And then I was bummed because Adam was retweeting everyone who did tag. <laughs> yeah, I I'm saw like, that so too. you're you're punishing me for following the rules? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking, Adam. Don't take it personally. <laughs> Please. <laughs> <laughs>